This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. There's only one more episode between this one and the start of the World Brewing Congress. If you haven't already registered, what the heck are you waiting for? There's even an option for free registration. Paid registration gets you access to content that would normally cost you hundreds of dollars, perhaps thousands, depending on where you would have been traveling from. There's only one place you can get a little appetizer of WBC Connect content, and that's right here on the Master Brewers podcast. During the next few weeks, we'll be chatting with some of my favorite e-poster session presenters. So how do you manage dry hop creep when bottle conditioning? This week on the show, we're talking about WBC poster number 65, which describes just how Allagash dealt with this challenge. One is the sugar that you intentionally add during dosing or priming, and then the kind of residual extract that wasn't consumed by the yeast during primary fermentation, but can be consumed in the package. It's definitely amplified in dry hop brands due to the phenomenon of dry hop creep. Hi, my name is Heather Muzzy Karen, and I am with Allagash Brewing Company in Portland, Maine. Heather, Allagash bottle conditions, which sounds romantic, but is actually a lot of work and comes with a substantial amount of risk. Talk about that risk. Yeah, so bottle conditioning is obviously very tricky. Um, it's dependent on a lot of variables and the risk can kind of go both ways. Um, sometimes you expect it to re-ferment and it doesn't, and you end up with a undercarbonated beer, which once it's in package, you can't really correct that. And then on the flip side, sometimes it ends up re-fermenting more than you expect, in which case you have a kind of consumer safety situation where you have the potential for an exploding package. So, uh, kind of a double-edged sword there and really you it's hard and kind of you need this finesse to be able to try to fit right in this target range and reduce your risk on both ends of the spectrum. 
Your poster identifies four key variables related to the process of bottle conditioning. Tell us about each variable and how you manage it. Sure. So let's start with some of the easier ones. Um, temperature, for one, uh, we store all of our bottle conditioned and keg conditioned products in a warm room, temperature controlled. Um, we're looking for something around 70, 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, too cold and the yeast won't be happy. Too warm and you risk kind of accelerating uh, staling um, and other uh, deterioration of your flavor profile. Uh, for time, it really kind of has to do with order fulfillment, where if you're promising it in a certain period, you kind of need to have high confidence that you're going to hit your target CO2 within that time. So there's a little bit of a, a question mark there. Um, usually they're fairly predictable about a week, but we do have some brands that take a significantly longer time, around three weeks. So you really kind of have to just adjust for that and be prepared for a slight delay. Um, the third variable would be yeast. Obviously, you need healthy, viable yeast in suspension in your package to be able to re-ferment the sugars and create that CO2. So you can definitely get burned um, by not having a nice, healthy, robust yeast in package, um, in which case you often end up with an undercarbonated beer. So definitely need to do your QC checks there, um, high enough cell counts, and again, really healthy, like ready to charge yeast at the time of packaging. And then the last one, which is obviously the big focus of the paper, is sugar, um, which comes from really two sources. One is the sugar that you intentionally add during dosing or priming. Um, those kind of two terms can be used interchangeably. And then the kind of residual extract that wasn't consumed by the yeast during primary fermentation, but can be consumed in the package. Um, and that can just be a normal thing that happens. Um, with even non-dry hop beers, but it's definitely amplified in dry hop brands due to the phenomenon of dry hop creep. And it's not unusual to experience a little over attenuation during bottle conditioning, right? No, definitely not. It's fairly typical when you're doing a kind of tabletop forced re-fermentation test, even on a non-dry hop brand, to see a slight amount of over attenuation and exactly why that happens is I suppose maybe up for a debate. Um, we like to say at Allagash that when you package the beer with fresh yeast and get a little bit of oxygen in there during packaging, obviously trying to minimize that, but there's always going to be a tiny bit of oxygen pickup between processing and packaging. Um, that kind of helps revitalize the yeast a little bit and gives it a little bit of an oomph to kind of finish off what it didn't when it was in the fermenter. What level of variation do you typically experience for most brands? So, of course, it depends a little bit on the um, raw materials and the processing for the brand. Um, the examples that I used in the paper were our Allagash White, so our flagship brand. Obviously, there are a lot more data points there, but... Um, over years and years and years, we've seen very little variability, and most likely it's because of um, the fact that it's not dry hopped. So we're talking, you know, less than 0.1 degrees Play-Doh, and the variability is, you know, plus or minus maybe 0.02 or 0.03. Um, so very, very, very small. And that only equates to less than 0.1 volumes in CO2. So really, you don't even have to worry about that too much. And we actually set the spec for our beer at zero, 
assume it's zero, it might be a little over, it might be a little under, but again, it's going to be really consistent and in a small range of predicted CO2. For river trip and for other dry hop brands, it's a little bit more variable, but definitely still fairly consistent. Um, again, plus or minus in this case, maybe 0.05 to 0.1 in either direction of an average. And then there's figure six in your poster. What's going on there? Yeah, so figure six is 16 counties, which is the brand for the case study. Um, here we saw a much wider range of possible delta REs, um, around 0.6, even a little bit more. So we're talking on the order of, um, I guess it's at least double, if not more, what it was for River Trip and about five times plus um, what it was for White. So much, much higher range that we have to try to manage and control and predict. Was it immediately obvious that this was a hop creep issue or did you have other suspects at the time? Uh, for us, it was fairly immediately obvious that it was dry hop creep. We actually had been brewing this brand for um, a little bit prior to making a process change. It wasn't originally dry hopped and it became a dry hopped brand later down the road. And at that time was when we started to see this over attenuation and package. So we were actually able to directly correlate this to the process change that was getting oh, okay. to dry hop. All right. That makes sense. Um, you know, this this wasn't the first dry hopped brand Allagash has produced. What was different this time? Were you able to link the increased variability to a different hop variety or a different crop year, or different yeast strain, dose rate, anything else? So we're still not 100% sure. And I talk about it a little bit in the discussion. Um, we have not committed a lot of resources to really exploring the why. Um, but we hope that someone else might do so some other time. Um, our best theory to date is that it has to do with the uh, malt bill for this beer, as well as just the way that it's processed. Um, we use a lot of local malt. It's actually 100% local malt in this brand. And there's also quite a bit of unmalted grains. So we basically assume that we're not getting quite as much efficiency up in the brew house as we do with maybe some of our other dry hop brands that don't use as much unmalted material and also um, aren't quite as heavy on the local malt, um, in which case we see a slightly higher terminal gravity in the fermenter compared to these other dry hop brands as well, which means that there's more potential for conversion of those dextrins into these fermentable sugars when, you know, the dry hop creep phenomenon kind of takes over. That's pretty interesting. Um, I mean, you guys are a fairly, fairly large brewery. Uh, is it, I'm guessing if you're using local malt, um, probably each time you brew this, you're into a different lot of, of those raw materials or not necessarily? Not necessarily. Um, but we definitely encountered several different lots over the course of the 13 batches in this case study. So the phenomenon held true over different lots. So we know that it wasn't specific to one lot of local malt, but really just the whole grist bill um, kind of combined. And again, the processing as well. We could have maybe tweaked some stuff in the brew house to try to get a slightly drier beer, in which case maybe it wouldn't have been um, quite so pronounced um, on the back end during packaging, but right. we 
opted again for a lot of different reasons to kind of continue down this path and use this model and ultimately change the recipe in many more ways um, in the end. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder if I mean, because you know, you know, a craft molster is going to have a harder time, you know, hitting. Um, you know, they may have to, as we've talked about in other episodes, they may have to change, um, uh, you know, certain variables to hit some of the, some of the specs, and it may be that you know they've got um, they're more focused on you know color and extract and some of these others, but maybe the the DP is off by a good bit from one lot to the next or something like that. So there's there's some interesting um, things to investigate there for sure. unique numbers in between the minimum and the maximum, a lot of the RDFs are actually going to end up matching up with the same Delta RE. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Brewery Supply Group is now the proud exclusive distributor of Dingaman's Malt. BSG is thrilled to partner with the Dingaman's family and to distribute their superior quality malts to brewers, distillers, and homebrewers in the U.S. and Canada. Dingaman's Malt combines modern techniques with their long-standing focus on quality and service to their customers and remains 100% independent and family-owned. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation live streams data from your active fermentations, allowing you to remotely track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Try it free for 30 days. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. As you might imagine, there still aren't any opportunities to gather in person for district meetings, but that doesn't slow us down. After all, Master Brewers, which was formed in 1887, has survived more than one pandemic. Spring and summer have brought us numerous webinars and virtual district meetings, many of which can be replayed on demand. You've heard me talking about the 2020 World Brewing Congress for several months now. As I've mentioned, it's my favorite industry conference. I've been looking forward to it since the 2016 WBC ended. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we won't be able to gather in Minneapolis as planned. As much as that stinks, there is a pretty serious silver lining. WBC 2020 is going fully virtual, which means you can access the world's most cutting edge research in brewing science and technology easily and affordably from the comfort of your own home. Registration for WBC Connect is now open with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details or check the direct link in the show notes. You've probably heard of or even attended one of the famous two-week courses that Master Brewers puts on each year in Madison. Well, those classes will be all virtual this year, which means you can now get the same education without spending money to travel and while taking advantage of 45% off course tuition. 
The Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins October 11th, and the Brewing and Malting Science course starts October 25th. The Master Brewers Podcast Working Group still needs representation from a few more districts. Look for details in the Master Brewers Communicator or go to masterbrewerspodcast.com slash working group. Back to the show. We've talked about Hop Creek on the show before. In fact, uh, Jason Perkins from Allagash was part of one of those discussions. But tell us about all the options you you considered for managing this this Hop Creek you were experiencing. Obviously, you ended up sort of overhauling your process. But when when you're in the thick of this, uh, what were some of the things you considered doing? Sure. So the Kind of most obvious one and what, you know, a lot of the industry kind of best practices will tell you is to just let the hop creep finish before you even package it so that it won't be a concern. Um, But of course, there's some drawbacks to that approach. Um, It can take a long time. Uh, Once you get to the tail end of fermentation, yeast starts to drop out. And as I mentioned, with those four key variables up front, you need healthy, active yeast to kind of re-ferment these sugars. And with dry hop creep, it's basically creating a food source at a super, super slow rate. So it doesn't really have, again, that like acceleration effect at that point. Um, so you really need a lot of healthy yeast and solution to kind of continue as it's slowly creating these new fermentable sugars. So it can take quite a while. And again, fermentation space is very valuable. Um, and Really one of the motivations for dry hopping is that fresh dry hop aroma and flavor. So extended warm time in the fermenter is going to decrease that as well. So not a great option there, at least for us. Um, Another option is to completely remove all the yeast and force carbonate instead of packaging, um, package conditioning. The biggest drawback here is the loss of kind of the benefits of of in-package conditioning, which I speak to in the beginning of the paper. And uh, depending on what yeast removal method you use, it's really hard to guarantee that you're getting it all out of there. So there's still a pretty high risk. um, And we would rather, I guess, control the risk rather than kind of assume it's not going to be there. Um, It's a lot harder to address it uh, in that situation when you're assuming it's not going to be there, but it could pop up at any time. Uh, Another option would be to use pasteurization, um, but we don't have that equipment. So that kind of knocked that one off. But there's obviously other reasons to to consider with that approach um, at another brewery that might have the equipment. Um, And then a fourth option would be to do a forced fermentation test. Um, It's a very commonly recommended ASBC method, which you can find on their website. Um, to basically do a mini uh, dosing experiment in the lab, tabletop in a flask, and basically see what the over attenuation is going to be before you actually package it. And then you can use that number in your priming sugar calculation. Um, But for this option, similar to option one, is it's going to take a lot of time, um, time that we don't necessarily have. So 
none of those options were really awesome for our particular situation. Okay, so at, at some point, I guess it was on about the sixth batch, you realized the way you were managing this for the other brands just wasn't going to work for this one. Correct. Uh, so previously, the dry hop brands that we've done enough packages to have kind of a s- sampling of data more than one or a few, uh, like we discussed at the beginning of this podcast, has been fairly consistent. So the range of possible um, delta RE over attenuations that we've seen is, you know, within 0.1, maybe 0.2 um, degrees Plato. And that in CO2 equivalents isn't that much. Um, so you can really pick kind of the average and not have a ton of risk for undercarbonation or overcarbonation if you hit those extremes of what we've seen historically. Um, But of course, for 16 counties, that wasn't the case. And the difference in CO2 between the least over attenuating batch and the most over attenuating batch is huge and basically tells us that it's not possible to pick a single value and always hit your targets or always be within spec. So that was a big, big eye opener. And we basically said we have to do something or we're eventually going to have a batch that we're going to have to dump, which obviously nobody wants to do. And that was probably the point at which somebody who was probably named Heather said, maybe there's a better way to do this. Exactly, exactly. Um, So, you know, we started digging and uh, I have always been a fairly big proponent of this variable called real degree of fermentation. Uh, We're lucky enough at Allagash to have a Anton Parr alkalizer. which spits out this number for us. Obviously, I recognize that not all breweries have um, a piece of equipment that gives you that number. But uh, for us, a lot of the data trending and auditing that we do for ABV as well is tied to that RDF. Um, We see variability in RDF for white, um, which causes variation in our ABV. So that's just another example of where we've kind of keyed in on this variable in the past. So it was really the first one that I thought of could potentially help us. And it turns out that a super simple linear regression fit. And we were quite surprised, but also pretty happy about it and decided to run with it. Okay, well, the average craft brewer um, might not know their way around a, uh, quote, simple linear regression model. Uh, So why don't you break that down in layman's terms for us? Sure. Um, So if you can try to think back to high school math, uh, the equation for a line y equals mx plus b, uh, on the x-axis, we have our real degree of fermentation. And then on the y-axis, we have the... uh, delta RE over attenuation. So basically the degrees Plato in real extract that the batch referments beyond where it started when you before you um, added any priming sugar to it. And we plotted all of our existing data on there and it formed a nice line where the higher the RDF, the less uh, over attenuation you were going to have. And it, it makes sense logically because if it referment or if it fermented more in primary fermentation, that means you're going to have a higher real leaves degree. less on the table. Exactly. You have a higher degree of fermentation already. So if you assume they're going to all kind of end up in the same place in the end, which wasn't exactly true. So I don't want to say that, but, um, the more you have in primary, the less you're going to have in secondary. 
That's cool. So did you end up building models for all of your other brands as well after this? I definitely looked into it because I wondered, oh my gosh, if it works for this, like, could we even dial in, say, the River Trip brand even more? Even though it wasn't necessary, like, could we for continuous improvement purposes? And the answer was unfortunately no. Um, Really? Yeah. So the correlation for that brand was really poor, like under an R squared of 0.1. So really bad. Wow. Why do you think that was? I personally think it's because of the granularity of the data not being very, very good. And what I mean by that is if the over attenuation for river trip, the minimum that we've ever seen is say like, I forget the actual number, but 0.05 and the highest is say 0.2. That's a spread of only 0.15. You only have 15 unique numbers in between the minimum and the maximum. So you don't have a lot of uniqueness in that span. And therefore, you're going to have a harder time finding a correlation when a lot of the RDFs are actually going to end up matching up with the same delta RE just because you're rounding up and you're rounding down. If our equipment was capable of producing more decimal points, I wonder if maybe that correlation would go up a little bit but realistically, probably not enough for it to be significant. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of where my no, head is that, that, that makes great sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty cool. The only other thing I might mention is that if, what we experienced um, during this case study and the solution that we found is definitely not a one-size-all-fits um, approach. And... We were very lucky that this happened to work out the way it did. And I just want to recognize that it might not work for a lot of brands within our brewery and also might not work for a lot of other breweries. So I definitely encourage people to at least take a deeper dive into their data and see if they can find anything interesting, but um, no guarantees that this will work for you. Fair enough. Good disclaimer. All right. I should mention that anyone who wants to learn more about how recipes are developed at Allagash should check out episode 137, How a Beer Comes to Life. And listeners who want to really see the details and results of Heather's very cool case study and maybe try to build their own predictive models should make sure they're registered for the WBC and check out poster number 65, which Heather, you're presenting virtually and will be available to answer questions via chat at 2 p.m. Eastern during the September 19th WBC Connect poster session. That was Heather Muzzy Karen here on the Master Brewers podcast. Check the show notes for a direct link to her WBC poster session. Look, I know you're probably zoomed out and totally sick of virtual this and virtual that. I know I am. But WBC Connect is not just another virtual conference. This is a meeting that I usually drop everything for because it's the most serious international gathering of technical brain power in our industry, and it only happens once every four years. If you're serious about your career in brewing, you're crazy not to attend at least part of this. Registration for WBC Connect is now open, with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details, or check the direct link in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. 
take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Yeah.